All right, good morning, everyone. Well, I've been tasked to uh, fill in for Mr. Adamson, so uh, it's a great privilege to do that. And uh, going through Hebrews, and I will be uh, tackling Hebrews 5, uh, verses 11, and going into chapter 6, verse uh, 3. But before we get into the text, let's uh, open up with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you now and we pray that you prepare our hearts and our minds for receiving your word. We pray that it will impact us in a, a great way, Lord, that it would transform us into Christ's image and that we would be fruitful in our lives, be obedient, and help us to be mature in the faith, to seek you in all things. Lord, be at this time. Be with everyone, and I pray that you be with this uh, study. May it be glorifying to you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I believe last week Mr. Addison talked about uh, in chapter 5, uh, preceding verses of verses 1 through 10. Um, so my task is, like I said, is I'm going to talk about title on your, if you see in your Bibles, it's, uh, mine that says warning against apostasy. And also you can glean from it too, as well as that spiritual, there's two types, spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity uh, through this text. So not all Christians are on the same spiritual walk. They're in different stages of their walk. Uh, that's true. New believers at, uh, certain, a certain stage and a, uh, people in the faith for years are should be uh, further along in their sanctification. But we do see in the church too that there are believers or so-called believers that do not grow in their sanctification. I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here to the church. It's saying that you're sitting under this, this the preaching, the word, but you require milk. Right? So, when I became a Christian, I attended a church that wasn't necessarily biblical and doctrinal and that didn't teach the basics of Christianity 101, you know, the principles of the faith. Uh, it was only until I went to the Master's College, it was called at the time, that I was introduced to the biblical truth, which was uh, exciting for me. And I had a desire to be in the Word, to grow, to learn more. And I did. Brought, I bring that, brought that passion and zeal to my church, which uh, they didn't receive it too well. So um, I didn't know who John MacArthur was at the time. I went to the Master's College. I didn't know who John Calvin or any of these guys were at the time. But uh, one of the pastors of that church I attended uh, called me a hyper Calvinist, which. I had to ask him, what was that? What did that mean? So, but needless to say, I did have a desire to learn the word, right? To grow in my maturity and my spiritual walk. I did end up leaving that church and to go to another church that taught the word. And it's important that the word is taught. You see that in churches across the United States and the world, the world that preachers are neglecting teaching sound doctrine, the word. They want to do this fancy. Uh, speech to, to entertain, to tickle the ears. Well, Paul in 2 uh, Timothy 4 2 says, Preach the word, nothing else. 
just preach the word. We don't need the, this uh, culture to influence the church. We need the word to influence the people. So, in chapter 5, we talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek, right? Jesus is the, the high priest. Well, Jesus is the preacher, the preacher of the word. And we see the writer of Hebrews discussing this in beginning in verse 11 of chapter 5. So let me read that, starting in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And in chapter 6, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again foundations of repentance from, the work, from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying of ha- on hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So we see in this text two warnings, right? About uh, spiritual immaturity. And then we'll see two marks of spiritual maturity. So the writer of Hebrews gives three warnings uh, in the book. The first one you guys probably already went through uh, the first one is found in Hebrews 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, which is a warning, warning, bless you, warning against uh, neglecting the great of salvation, the greatness of salvation. And the second warning you find in chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, is the warning against following the unbelief of Israel's first generation. And now we come to our text where we see the third warning is. It's addressing the apostates of the church. And we know this if we read further on in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God in their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So apostasy is like knowing the truth. You know the truth, the principles of Christian faith, but you're not a believer. You can walk away. A genuine believer won't lose their salvation. But an apostate is necessarily it's a, a non-believer who sits under the teaching of Christ. Here's the truth, but it doesn't change them internally because they're not saved. The Holy Spirit's not in them. So there are going to be two marks, like I said, of spiritual maturity. And the first one, the first mark is spiritual dullness. Spiritual dullness. That's found in verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. The writer of Hebrews makes a strong statement in verse 11. The writer has much to say, he says, but won't explain it. The reason why he won't explain it because you're dull of hearing. You cannot understand these deep truths about God's word like 
high priest, Melchizedek. You won't understand these things because you are spiritually immature and you're dull of hearing. So the writer won't go in any further because he needs to address the issue at hand, which is you are spiritually immature. So why? Because why are they immature? Because they decided to become dull of hearing. We all experience that when somebody's talking. Uh, you can listen. You can be an active listener and retain, accept the information, process it, do some critical thinking of the information. But a lot of times, if you have kids, right? When a kid, something can go in one ear and out the other, right? They're not uh, retaining it. The Greek word for dull is nothros, meaning lazy or sluggish or slothful. So these group of so-called Christians the writer is addressing, they have become lazy in their learning. They're not being active in their learning of the Word of God. They've become lazy in their listening. It'd be like us sitting in uh, the sanctuary and Pastor Steve preaching, we just block everything out and not retaining it, not learning, not let the Holy Spirit transform us. Their spiritual growth is affected because of their dullness. So Jesus is quoting in uh, Matthew uh, Matthew 13, uh, 15. He, he talks about, he's addressing the disciples, their question, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus tells them, right, this is the same Greek word that we see in our text in Matthew 13, 15. For these pe- people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see their, with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. That same word, dull, they decide to not listen, right? Not take it in. Jesus even talks to the guys on the road to Emmaus, uh, who he comes in contact with in Luke 24, 25. Uh, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. It's the same concept. Slow of heart is the same as being dull, slothful, laziness uh, in hearing and understanding the word. In Rome, Paul quotes uh, in Acts uh, 28-27, he quotes Isaiah 6, uh, chapter 9-10, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their, eye, with their ears they can barely hear. The same text... Jesus is referring to. The same word we see in Proverbs 15, 19, we see the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level of highway. Uh, level highway. A hedge of thorns, right? They're not even knocking out the thorns. They're just, just enduring the, the thickness of the hedge of the thorns, letting it pierce them rather than the word. And in Proverbs 22, 13 through 15, again, that word... The slugger says, there's a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. They're not even being active about it, right? There's a lion, so I'm just let the lion kill me. The people the author is addressing here in Hebrews is most likely the Jews, right? Who are part of the Old Covenant. They understand the Old Covenant. They know the Old Testament, but they are blind and lazy that they just sit there and do not hear or listen to the truth of the Word of God. So, in verse 11 we saw, we see the spiritual dullness 
which is a, a mark of spiritual immaturity. The second mark of spiritual maturity we'll see is spiritual infancy, which is we in verses 12 through 13, spiritual infancy. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. So, they need the milk. The milk here is the ABCs, right? The, the basic principles of the Word of God. The recipients of Hebrews of this letter developed an issue, right? They were directed, uh, the writer directs them back to the ABCs, the principles of the faith. They did not understand, they did not know the basics. Uh, they heard the truth of the Word of God, but they didn't understand the basics. They still need to be taught those things. And how often do we see that in the evangelical church, right? Uh, how many so-called believers sit in for the, uh, the church for years and fail to grasp the deep truths of God's Word? Now, it's okay to go back to the ABCs, the basic principles of God's Word, to touch up on it, to make sure that's solid within us, but we shouldn't be daily living on the milk. The milk, you know, is... Uh, it's a basic necessity of life, especially for a nursing kid, uh, a mom nursing a baby. Uh, so those are essential. But there's still come a time when you grow out of that, right? So the writer, the writer of Hebrews is saying, you don't have a foundation of spiritual truths that you've been taught to you. How can you understand the difficult things, the difficult doctrines, the mysteries of God when you are still feeding on the milk, the ABCs, the basic principles of the law? The law, the word. How can I teach you these things? Not all Christians are called to be teachers, like we see in this text here, but all Christians can share the truth of God. So in a sense, we are a teacher. We can share God's truth. We're teaching people. It may not be in a classroom or uh, behind a pulpit, but in our daily lives, we can share the truth of God's word. So we have that ability. Uh, we know we have the knowledge explain the gospel to others. We explain the Bible to others. It'd be like me going to the master seminary and just sit there in the classroom and le learn all this information, but I don't put it to use. It doesn't resonate in my mind and my heart. I'm unable to share these truths to people. So the intended recipients of this letter need to go back to the elementary principles, the truths of God's word. They need to be taught the rudimentary principles, and, and that what the, the Greek word means, the basic principles, is the rudimentary principles. Here we see in verse 12. So, Paul talks about this in Galatians 4.3. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The same concept, right? The elementary principles regarding the world in that text. Colossians 2.20, Paul talks about if with Christ you die to the elementary, uh, elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So, these basic, it means the same basic elementary principles. Then what are the oracles of God? When he talks about, the writer talks about this in, in uh, verse uh, 12. 
Well, the oracles of God is just another term for the law, right? The Old Testament, the, the Torah, the Scripture, the Word of, of God. It's a, in the Greek, it means a message, a divine collection of divine messages. The same concept uh, when Luke writes in Acts 7.38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. It's the word of God. Paul, again, says in, Roman, or, or says in Romans 3, 2, it says, much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So the oracles of God is the law, the scripture. So the recipients here of this letter, they received that. They received the oracles of God, the Old Testament, the Torah, the, the prophets, the Proverbs and the Psalms. Now when we get to the next uh, text, the second part of verse 12, it says you need milk, not solid food. What does this milk mean? What is it referring to? Well, milk is in the, in the Bible, it can refer to many things. One, milk is used as a simile for whiteness. In Genesis 49.12, it says, His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Milk can may, uh, maybe refer to as material wealth. Isaiah 60.16 says, You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse on the breast of the kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Milk can also mean a didactic nourishment, a teaching, an instruction. In Isaiah 55, 1, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and who, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then the last one, milk, it's spiritual milk. This is to be greatly desired. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In our text, milk is referring metaphorically to the communication of basic teachings and truths, primarily for new believers, right? What new believers and young believers receive. And in contrast, mature believers receive, eat, they eat solid food, right? The meat, the depths of God's word. So the solid food and we see Paul talk about 1 Corinthians 3, 2. I feed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. Paul is addressing the same issues to the Corinthian church. They weren't ready for the, the mysteries of God, the deep truths of God. They're only wanting the milk. They, that's all they can handle. But as newborns grow, uh, we see in the infancy, right? They start off with milk. They'll eventually have to go to solid foods, right? They cannot no longer stay on the milk. Just imagine a 16-year-old drinking out of a bottle. You know, that would be alarming to us all. So, so newborn grows, and eventually will be able to eat solid foods. That should be our progression in our spiritual life, our sanctification, right? We started in the milk. We should have a progression into the solid food, the deep uh, mysteries of God's Word. Charles Spurgeon said, 
The master knew that his disciples were like narrow-necked bottles, that they must be gradually filled, so he can only reveal the truth to them as they were able to receive it. Had that strain of the neck of a bottle. Had to precisely put the word into them because they couldn't receive a lot. And we see in uh, for in Hebrews thirteen, like our, our verse thirteen. I'm sorry. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. What does this mean, unskilled? What's the writer talking about? Well, the Greek word is inexperienced. It means inexperienced, lacking practical experience or training. What are they unskilled? What area are they unskilled? unskilled? It's in the word of righteousness, in verse 13. In the word of righteousness. This refers to the word or the doctrine of the gospel that the writer is talking about here. The word of the cross is talking about. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us we are, to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Where the righteousness of God was revealed to us. And Paul again, Romans 1.17, For in it is righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. The Hebrew talks about since he is a child, in the text. So they're unskilled in the word of righteousness because they are a child. They have childlike characteristics. And so they weren't able to emulate uh, the teaching. The pastor, the example is set forth. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14.20, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil but in your thinking, be mature. If you're going to be infantile on something, be infant in the evils of the world, the, the worldly things, but don't be children in the, the spiritual truths of God's Word. Be mature in that. Paul in Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Man, if you're still drinking the milk, you can be tossed to and fro because you don't know the sound doctrines, the truths, the solid truths of the word. You can be tossed. You can be tricked, carried away. We see that happen a lot in our world. People are easily carried away. So that term child in verse 13 is referring to an infant who's still nursing and receiving the milk, and not, has not been weaned from his mother. Uh, the early church father, Christosom, says, as, as have to be fed with milk, for left to themselves, they will put dirt and straw into their mouth. So they become ignorant to the point where they're like, they don't desire solid food, they'll just put anything into their mouth. They'll put dirt and straw into their mouth. So we saw two marks of spiritual immaturity. We saw spiritual dullness, uh, spiritual infancy. Then we'll look at the other side of the coin, which is two marks of spiritual maturity. And the first one is the spiritual mature. In verse 14, 
But solid food is for, for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This first idea of seeing the contrast between the spiritual immature and the spiritual mature. So the writer does uh, the writer of Hebrews does not give us a contrast to, uh, or he does give us a contrast to spiritual mature by saying but, right, beginning of verse fourteen, but solid food for the mature. What is spiritual maturity? What does spiritual maturity look like? Mature believers have their senses trained. Infants are unable to make correct judgments about spiritual truths and cannot understand the mysteries of the gospel. Why? Because their minds are not trained in spiritual matters. Because they are still feeding on the milk. They can't discern between good and evil. But the mature believer is trained and practices uh, spiritual truth. It's muscle memory, right? Uh, me being in law enforcement, I received six months of training. They taught what they call perishable skills. These are skills that if you don't train, you'll lose it or become ineffective and deficient in those things. I've been in law enforcement for almost 17 years now, and these perishable skills we have to do every year. Uh, you want that for your law enforcement, right? You don't want the uh, unskilled law enforcement on the street. But if I didn't practice those skills, the muscle memory, what they call, is that I won't have the automatic uh, go-to to be able to do these skills without having to do hard thinking of these things. It'll be natural to me. Well, that's like with the spiritual truth of God, God's Word. If you, These basic principles should be natural to our spiritual walks which will lead us to uh, deeper truth, right? To sound doctrine. To dive into the Bible more. To get more intimate with God. We don't want to be ineffective if we don't practice these skills. What we call perishable skills. If you're not in God's Word daily, you're not training your perishable skills. I think of John Bunyan, right, when he was in prison for so many years, I think multiple times, and uh, he had the Word of God memorized. He sits in the cell, but he has the Word of God in his mind and in his heart that he can meditate on during those difficult times. Even Apostle Paul, when he's in prison, they're singing hymns and songs. I think to myself, will I have that ability? Will you guys have that ability if it comes to something that... Uh, uh, to that extent, we should all have that desire. We should all have the desire to be spiritually minded. Like Paul talks about in Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We should have the mind of Christ, so we can discern, so we should be able to discern the will of God, so we know what the will of God is, and so what is good and acceptable and perfect in our life. This is Christ-likeness, right? We want to 
grow into Christ-likeness. That's spiritual maturity. In Ephesians 3.16, uh, Paul talks about the, the according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, your, through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power or at work within us. Christ-likeness should be our pursuit. We see in Philippians 3, 12-14, we pursue these things, the mind of Christ, we press on to make it my own, Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So we see the first mark of spiritual maturity is being spiritually mature. The second is spiritual maturity should be sought. It should be sought. We should seek after these things. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead works of, of, of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this will do, we will do if God permits. So the preacher is to continue the, to deeper truths of God's Word, but the preacher is not to permanently neglect and forgetting the fundamental truths. Like I said before, we can revisit those things. What the writer's saying here for the believer is to leave these elementary truths. It's not saying neglect them or put them aside or forget about them. It's that stop maintaining them, stop focusing on them cognitively. Focus on the deeper truths, the mysteries of God. Seek those things. Leave the elementary behind and go after the deeper truths of God's Word. That's what the writer is saying here. Stop maintaining because it is embedded in our hearts and our minds if we want to have the mind of Christ, if we have these basic truths within us. That's muscle memory. We develop that. It becomes the foundational principles of God's Word in us. And the word doctrine here is logos, is the Word. Have the Word... The elementary word of Christ, leave those things because it's in us already. We don't need to dwell upon those. In Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and asserting the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word is powerful. It's It's living and it's active. We are, to, uh, we are to go to maturity, leave and go towards the maturity of God's Word. We see in uh, verse 14, sorry, verse 1, it says, leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. We are to go, that's active. We got to be active in that. We can't be passive. We need to uh, drive, propel towards these deeper truths. First Peter one twenty one says, "Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead 
and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We are to move on from the foundations of repentance. We see here too as well in our text. It says, after we're to go to maturity, we are to not lay laying again a foundation of repentance. What does this mean, a foundation? Well, the word foundation is a, a architectural metaphor. It's a meaning we're not to lay a new foundation because it's already been laid. A teaching of Christ is foundational. These, this milk, these ABCs, these principles of God's Word is foundational. God's Word builds upon these, those truths. There is a progression. And 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. God's firm foundation stands. 1 Timothy 6.19 Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So it's foundational. It's, it's basic principles that we lay upon in our, uh, in our life, our, our sanctification. What does it mean not laying again? It's that the foundation has already been laid. Why do we need to lay it again? It's like a contractor pouring a foundation of a house and then going back and putting another foundation upon it. It's... It's moot. We don't need to do that. What does this foundation consist of? What does it consist of? The writer of Hebrews mentions the dead works or the acts that lead to death. Here in Hebrews uh, 9.14, you go further in the book of Hebrews, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So what are these dead works? The Apostle Paul speaks of being dead, right? He talks about the dead works and dead things. He talks about in Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sin. He talks about Colossians 2, 13, who, are, who were dead in your trespasses. And then Peter goes on and talks about Dead in trespasses, right? And then, then he talks about the, these dead works, these dead former sins, uh, and past sins. In Second Peter one nine, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So the sins of an unregenerate person are called dead works. They're the acts that lead to death. The people who, these people are already dead by nature. Their sins end in their death. Right? An unbeliever uh, ha has no death in Christ. James 1.15 says, Then desire when it comes, or when it has been conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grown, brings forth death. So sin brings forth death. We're referring to Let's not forget, too, when it talks about, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6 in Hebrews, talking about the foundation of repentance from the dead works and, and the faith toward God. Christ commanded repentance. That's a basic uh, gospel to us, right? We have to have faith and repentance. In Matthew 4.17 says, From the time Jesus began to preach, saying, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again he said in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Acts, Peter even said, Repent and be baptized. Again in verse uh, in Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So we got to repent. These things go hand in hand, repent and faith. They're linked together. That's why in verse 1 it says, uh, Repentance from the dead works and a faith toward God. That's a second example of foundational doctrine. You repent, right? And you have faith toward God. Repentance and faith toward God are linked. They're linked by the conjunction and, right, in this text. These two truths should never be separated. What does it mean to have faith toward God? We first must believe in Him and acknowledge Him as, a, as the first eternal truth. We have to submit to Him. We have to trust Him as sovereign Lord, as sovereign judge. Uh, Jesus makes a distinction between faith towards Him and a special faith Himself, uh, himself that is required. In John 14, 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So, you have to believe in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to believe in Him. So, repentance and faith are linked. The author of Hebrews reminds us, uh, reminds these uh, recipients of this letter uh, the instructions they had, they had received. You see this in verse 2. It says, and of, and of the instruction about washings, the laying on hands of the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. The, the Greek word for washings is bapti, baptismos. Baptism. Baptism. Sorry, stuttering. Words. It was being baptized. That's what I'm talking about. And then the laying of hands is an old covenant term. It's meaning having identification in the Lord, being the child of God. You're being identified as God. That's the same thing with the, our baptism today, right? You're showing an outward sign of an inward change, right? When you're being baptized, you're telling people that I'm Christ and Christ is mine. So this whole laying on hands you see in Leviticus 1.4, where it says he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, Leviticus 3.8, laying his hand on the head of his, of his offering, Leviticus 3.13, and lay his hand on the head, his, its head and killed it in front of the tent of meeting. So it's the identification uh, of the old covenant. The new covenant believer's identification comes from Christ by the Holy Spirit. The union we have in Him. In him. Then we talk, he talks about here in Hebrews, it talks about you have the washings, the laying on of hands, then the resurrection of the dead. In John eleven twenty five, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live again. This is talking about the, the believer's resurrection, right? We'll be re resurrected to life. 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about that. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. 
Christ conquered death. He was res resurrected. As believers, we will be resurrected as well. Uh, so not talking about, not only did the writer talk about washing, the washing, the baptism, we talk about laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. In Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Later on in Hebrews, in verse, or chapter 9, verse 27, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. But for the believer, right? For the believer in Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation of those for those who are in Christ Jesus. But for an unbeliever, they have to stand before the great right throne of judgment. As John the Apostle writes in Revelation 20, if Jesus Christ has all the authority over judgment, he's been given to him, as Jesus talks about himself in John 5, that has been given to him, the Father granted that to him. Finally, in, in and God, uh, God has the authority to give permission. We see, we saw the washings, the baptism, the laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And in verse 3 of chapter 6 in Hebrews, it says, And this we will do if God permits. The author is saying he will go on and teach if God permits him to. He'll go on and teach him the basic principles, the elementary principles of the word, the milk if God permits it. Because God is the author of salvation, not the writer of Hebrews, the recipients of this letter will also go on onto the spiritual maturity in Christ if they become believers that have saving faith in Christ. Because God is sovereign, God will instruct those He wants to instruct. Those people will hear the deep truths they also hear the basic principles, the ABCs of God's Word. God's all in control of that. He has a complete authority and control of what He allows and permits. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in verse 3 here. And Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That should be all of us as believers that our sufficiencies from God, from being in His Word, that He will teach us. We have the Holy Spirit as our instructor, our teacher. But if you're a non-believer, you don't have that instructor, that teacher. You need to hear the gospel message. James 4.13, James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. In John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will rise up, rise him, raise him up on the last day. So in James, people just go, I'll say willy-nilly in their lives, right? Go on. But Jesus has authority, right? No one comes to him unless the Father 
draws them to him, to Christ. So briefly, some application. So we saw the two spiritual immaturities, right? There's the dullness of spiritual immaturity. There's the infancy of spiritual maturity. And then on the flip side of the coin, there's the two marks, right? The two marks of spiritual maturity, which is spiritually mature, and then spiritually maturity needs to be sought. And how do we develop these, this spiritual maturity? How do we go from milk to solid food? How do we not fall into the trap of spiritual dullness in our lives? Well, first one that should be obvious is that you, we have to be new creatures. We have to be born again. Jesus said in John 3, 3, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One must be born again. A believer is a new creature. We're a new creation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have, we have to be born again. We must be a new creation. Secondly, you must grow out of spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. We should have that desire to get off the milk and to go onto the solid food. But we have to have the right teaching, right? We have to sit under the right uh, instruction from a pastor. I can tell you that I've sat under some many pastors, like my first church, where uh, I didn't learn. I wasn't being taught the word. I was being taught stories about life. You won't be able to grow. You become you can learn to be dull, to block out what the the pastor is preaching. There is a time, like I said, for basic financial teaching, but Paul said in First Corinthians three, verses one and two, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not Yet ready. Paul even had issues dealing with people not receiving the hard truths, the deep truths of God's word. He still had to teach them. In sanctification, there will be a natural progression from the basics to the advanced divine truths of God's word. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish, childish ways. Our walk should be like that. We should want to move on from the, the basics, what children learn. We should go into the doctrines of grace and God's word. Another one is that we must be steadfast in the faith. We must be steadfast in the faith. In Acts 2.42 says, And they, were devo they devoted themselves to the apostles, Apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. We should devote ourselves to reading God's Word, to sitting under expository preaching, to uh, saturate our lives in God's Word. Imagine if I didn't talk to my wife for a week. Right? We live in the same house, we go around the same house. We didn't say one word to each other. What would it say about our, my communication with my wife, my relationship? Not very good. It looked like it appeared like it's dying, our relationship. Well, that's like with God, right? 
God's Word, if you want to hear God's Word, right, read God's Word out loud, right, read the Bible out loud, get into the Word, that's God speaking to us, and our part is prayer, that's our communication. We have to be daily doing those things. Be steadfast in those things. Be steadfast in the faith. And Paul talks about in Colossians 2, 5, says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We should have the firmness of, of our faith in Christ like the Colossians did. And Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7-9, says, Having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. We should all have a desire to do that. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for their present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and is during full acceptance. Steadfast in the faith. We should have steadfast in our walk with Christ. Also, we must war against the flesh. War against the flesh. We should be, like John Owen talks about, mortifying the sin, killing sin. It says, kill sin or the sin will kill you. Romans 7.23 says, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul was even dealing with this stuff. Battling Sin. In 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27, says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And athletes train hard, prepare themselves to be the best of the best, well, if we're in Christ and we want to know Christ and we know His Word, we need to practice and devote ourselves so we can be the best of the best. So, war against the flesh. But we also must sit, un we must sit under the preached Word of God. That's why it's important of the local church, important of the, importance of the pulpit, what is being brought from the pulpit, expository preaching. We are so blessed with the pastoral staff here and the elders and the leaders, uh, Pastor Steve, his expository preaching. I tell you what, it's blown my mind to see that my sons walk in the Lord, go from here to the heights I've never seen, and it's continuing to go. That's because it's the preached Word of God and nothing else. We all know 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scriptures breathe out and it's profitable, right? For our teaching, for our reproof, for our correction and for training in righteousness. I, that's, I know Paul's talking about the pastor, but it, uh, it's God's word sufficient for us. And it's authoritative. We don't need God's word plus something else. Worldly. We just need God's word. So 1 John 2, 27, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and there's no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. 
sit on expository preaching, but we've got to take what we learn and to teach ourselves as well with the help and aid of the Holy Spirit. So the writer of Hebrews was warning those who sat under sound teaching, but they failed to hear the word of God being taught. They lived lives unworthy of the calling, who were still required that their hands be held and fed milk. This is a warning to us today. If you have, if we have been a Christian for a long time and we're still requiring the milk, the ABCs, the basic principles of God's Word, examine ourselves, right? We need to examine ourselves. Make sure, first of all, make sure we are in the faith. And if we are in the faith and we're still requiring the milk, we need to seek God to help guide us to go after the depths and the truths of God's Word, to have that spiritual maturity that Christ has called us to have. He doesn't want lukewarm Christians. He wants hot, on-fire Christians to serve and to be obedient to Him. So, that's our warning against being apostate, but being also spiritually immature. If you permit me, I'll close us in prayer reading from the Valley of the Vision, which is one of the greatest books, I think, for my life, my prayer life. Uh, I can't say it any better than uh, this writer. So, let's pray. O Thou Most High, in the way of Thy appointment, I am waiting for Thee. My desire is to Thy name, my mind to remembrance of Thee. I am a sinner, but not insensible of my state. My iniquities are great and numberless, but thou art adequate to my relief. For thou art rich in mercy, the blood of thy Son can cleanse from all sin. The agency of thy Spirit can subdue my most powerful lust. Give me a tender, wakeful conscience that I can smite and torment me when I sin. May I constant be in conversation and conduct that same alone as in company, and prosperity and adversary, accepting all thy commandments as right, and hating every false way. May I never be satisfied with my present spiritual progress, but to faith add virtue, knowledge, temperance, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. May I never neglect what is necessary to constitute Christian character, and needful to complete it. May I cultivate the expedient, develop the lovely, adorn the gospel, recommend the religion of Jesus, accommodate myself to thy providence, keep me from sinking or sinning in the evil day, help me to carry into ordinary life portions of divine truth, and, who, and use them on suitable occasions so that its doctrines may inform me, its warnings caution, its rules guide, its promises comfort me. Lord, we do pray for those things. We pray for our spiritual growth, that our sanctification will be glorifying to you, Lord. We pray that you do a work in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to have that steadfastness, that zeal, that passionate for the faith, for your word, for the deeper truths. Be with us this service, this Lord's Day, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the elements of the communion and that we just remember you, that's all that you've done for your uh, sacrifice on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. May this day be glorifying to you. 
and help us to be obedient and train us in godliness, Lord. Help us to seek you in all things. That's God's name in Christ's name. Amen.